welcome to Unwanted Sisterhood Podcast. This is your girl, Sharon. I'm so honored that we have a young lady here today. I'm drawn to women who have experienced some of the same things. Her name is Coco. Hi, Coco. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. How was your day today? It was good. Busy. Running around. How many children do you have? I have two living children and our first was stillborn. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Walmart or Target? Target. I hop or Waffle House? Ooh, there's no Waffle House around me, so I hop. And what's your superpower? My superpower? Ooh, I can read people off pretty easy. Okay, that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> so what we're talking about today is a subject that, in my opinion, always be talked about very gently, and it's stillbirth. And according to the CDC, which I had no clue about this, 21,000 babies per year are born stillborn. That is a lot. That's a lot, which equates to about one out of 175 births. Wow. Right. And I don't know about you, but for me, that was never something that I worried about. I worried about pretty much getting past 27 weeks. After that, I thought I was good. I didn't have a really hard pregnancy. So I was just worrying about not having a miscarriage, eating Mm -hmm. the right food, not falling. Yep. Stillborn was not on the radar at all. That's how I was too, because I was just worried about, okay, let's get past those 12 weeks. You're going to be fine. And then you won't miscarry. But I... Maybe it was just that I was naive or I just didn't know. Like I had heard stuff about like people losing infants and losing all that. But I never knew exactly what that there was that middle category of stillbirth. Right. So walk me through what happened. So I have actually not ever told the story. Oh, I'm so honored. So I found out that he was stillborn on our 21 week checkup. Mm. Oh, I'm getting a little shaky. Okay, take your time. He, we went in for our 21 week. It was December 23rd. Mm-hmm. We were going to give our family a gender reveal surprise for Christmas. And we were actually going to go buy everyone's gifts on the color, boy or girl, depending on what we were having. So that was the plan. Mm -hmm. We had gone Christmas shopping before and then we went to our appointment. We're like, perfect. We have all afternoon to go shopping for everything that we need. So when we went in there, the ultrasound tech just kept looking at me like she kept going over and over and like in me like I already knew something wasn't right right. because she kept moving. She probably did that for about five, 10 minutes. And when she as soon said, because I was in nursing school and they told us sometimes that when they say, oh, we have to step out is because something is is wrong. I was like, okay, something is wrong. Something is not right. So they brought in my doctor's PA and that's when she told us that he had no heartbeat anymore. As soon as I heard that my significant other at the time, he spoke English, but he wasn't to that point where he could understand everything that was going on. And I just remember, just remember everything like going still. It was the biggest shock and time just 
didn't matter because I sat there and I remember I was laying in the bed and I put my hands like towards my face and he kept asking me like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, they say that he doesn't have a heartbeat and he's like, it's okay. Like he hugged me and I'm like, no, like it's not okay. Like, no, like my brain was not processing everything. So after that, they took us to another room and they couldn't detect the gender at first. So at first they told us it was a girl and I was extremely broken in every way you possibly could. We had a different doctor come in, talk to us. And he said that we could either wait until the holiday season was over, which we would do the whole process in January, or we could start there right away at 3 p.m. And at this time, it was like 1.30 p.m. So they gave us a couple of minutes to basically decide what we wanted to do. And my significant other actually was the one that told me, you know, it's your decision. Whatever you feel like doing, I'm going to support you in every way. So I was like, there's no way that I'm going to get through the holidays. I'm like, so we might as well just get going. So we came home, packed up a few essentials, and then we went to the hospital at 3 p.m. on December 23rd. They were expecting me to deliver that same day. He was obviously very, very tiny. All my family came over and I was trying to process everything. I was just trying to keep calm mm-hmm. if I could. And, but my mind was, you know, that time, like when they tell you and you don't know where your mind is going to go, like you just want to run from everything that's happening. And hide. Yes. Like I was ashamed. I was, I was in shock more than anything. Like I could not process anything. But at the same time, when we got to the hospital, my parents were there, which were, they were very supportive through the whole process. And I was just getting filled and filled with information. I'm just like, hold up. Like I just lost my child. I don't know why you guys are telling me all this, but no one else around me could really understand because of that language barrier. I'm like, like, what am I doing? Like, I have to make all these decisions myself. They came and talked to us like this is going to happen. And then this and then they gave me all the papers for the funeral. And I'm just like, Oh, wait, hold on. Like, this is too much. Like, let me just sit down. Let me just cry it out. And then we can talk because I was my mind was just in a blank state. Mm -hmm. The medication wasn't working on me for the induction medication. My body just doesn't react to anything like meds. The whole epidural did not work on me. Nothing. Wow. So I was in labor for over 30 hours with him. He had passed away on the 23rd and I didn't give birth to him till the 25th. So it was quite quite a long time. And throughout that entire process, my mind was like, he's going to be okay. He's going to be born. They're going to put him in an incubator. You're going to get to take him home. Mm-hmm. My heart was shattered. I was just like, this isn't something no one talks about. Like, why is this happening to me? Why me? Why does everyone else get to have their baby, basically? And even to this day, all the kids that are around his age that he would be, it's really hard for me to see them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that happens to other women, but it it's kind of like a jealousy that I feel that you guys can have your daughter, your son, and I unfortunately had to lose mine. And it was also around that time where so many people were announcing their pregnancies. And it was, every Christmas is different now. Yeah, I can only imagine that. For me, it was twins. Oh my gosh. So my son made it and my daughter didn't. So I had to, it was the worst day of my life. Yeah. And the best day of my life. 
I was reminded. Yeah. And I had to grieve not having twins because I had built my life around having two babies at the same time. Yeah. And then I still was thankful because I got to go home a baby. I can't even imagine going home without 30 hours of labor to have a baby and not go home with the baby. It was probably one of the hardest things that I personally have ever done. Mm -hmm. I tell this to any woman that's been going to or has gone through it because it's one of the worst feelings you could ever feel. Mm -hmm. But when he was born, they told us that he was a boy and they, they asked me if I wanted to see him. And of course I said, yes. So they placed him on my chest. He was, he was a tiny, tiny baby, like extremely tiny, but, um, he was, well, we, they told us that they were going to do all the tests that they do for figure out if there was anything going wrong, but, oh, Jesus. I just remember laying in in bed with him and just crying and asking why. Mm-hmm. Why did you have to take him? It will never make sense. No, never. Like I had my babies at 37 weeks and I remember praying to God. I'm talking about bargaining, pleading, whatever you do, I'll do whatever you need me to do, God. Just don't do what I'm living through right now. Cause it's almost like you try to stop time so that it stops. So you can grasp a hold and get control and figure out what's going on. Right. Yeah. People are around you. Like you said, they're talking to you and they're saying things, but it's bouncing right off. You can't comprehend anything. No, not at all. I'm so sorry. Did you stay in the hospital the normal time or did, how did that work? He was born... On the 25th, and then they told us that we would be discharged exact that exact same day in the afternoon. So he was born at one o two in the morning. Mm-hmm. We were discharged from the hospital at around 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping I could have stayed more just because I did not want to leave him. Right. Because then that makes it final. Yes. And then as soon as I got home... I remember I took a shower. I tried to eat something. I couldn't eat anything. And then I just came into the room. I shut the door and I just, I just cried. Mm-hmm. I cried. I think it was the loudest I've ever cried in my life. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it hit me that he's not here. I'm no longer pregnant, but my body's going to go through the whole postpartum. And the next day we actually had to start planning his funeral. So that was another hard thing because I kept telling myself that I shouldn't be planning a funeral. I should be planning a baby shower. Mm -hmm. So that was that was difficult. Mm -hmm. And I got to see him one last time that Friday, which was the 27th of December. We had a funeral on the 30th. From then on, I would visit his grave almost daily. And this is, I live in Wisconsin, so it's cold, but I would either sit in my car for a couple of hours or I would sit right on, like near his gravesite and I would just ask, like, why did it happen or why? Like, just the big why. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned that your family was supportive. So, what helped you because it's it's nothing that it will never go away and that's what I tell women all the time 
it just gets easier to get up. It never goes away. No. I mean, they were there. I'm not going to say that they were asking me how I was because I'll be honest, they weren't. So it was basically a battle with myself. Mm -hmm. And it was more of just like, okay, let me ask around. Let me talk to people who've gone through this and ask them, how did they do it? How does the feeling go away? Because I was like, I need to talk about it with someone or I just want this feeling to go away. I felt like in a sunken hole with no way out. Mm -hmm. The feeling inside, it was like, I just... I want him to be here. I want him to be okay. And I don't think my family realized that ever. Mm -mm. And it was one of my aunts who made a comment to me was like, oh, don't cry anymore because you're young. You can have more kids. And I was like, excuse me, like, no, like you, you don't say that. And then another family member of my husband's asked me, they're like, are you sure you didn't do anything to the baby? I was like, I never want to see you again in my life. Say, so we're not talking to them anymore ever, right? No. <laughs> no, I was like, don't, don't ever talk to me like that. You don't know what I'm going through. We were actually in the hospital still when he said that to me. And I told him, I was like, get out of the room. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm like that. You have no idea what I'm going through right now. I did a whole show on what not to say. Because yeah. I don't think people realize they don't think before they speak yeah and they don't realize how insensitive even if sometimes they're not really trying to be but they just don't know what to say and I've never even in death period I never tell someone you know God knows best. I never say um, everything happens for a reason. Those are things that I never say, even if logically we know that. But when we're going through whatever we're going through, we're allowed to feel the way we feel. We don't really want to hear anything about everything happens for a reason. Like no one wants to hear that. Exactly. Yes. The best thing to do is just give me a hug. Tell me you're praying for me. If I need anything, you'll be there. That's it. Don't say nothing else. Don't don't say you know how I feel. Because even if we've gone through the same things, our feelings are still different. Yes. That's the worst thing that you can do. Yeah. Friends, don't do that. Like, just be there. You don't have to say a word. Just your presence is needed. Yep. But if you don't know what to say or you don't understand, don't say anything. Because you make it worse. Exactly. The saying sticks and stones may break my bones, no words. No, that's that is far so far from the truth. Yeah, because you will remember certain things that people say to you never goes away. A lot of those comments are just something that will always, always stick with me. And like the good and the bad, all the good comments or all the people that were there are always going to stay. And of course, all the comments that you don't want to hear are going to unfortunately are the main ones that stick out. Right. And what year was this? Uh, this was in 2019. Okay. How do you, because this is something that was really hard for me. How do you do it again? Whew. So what I did was I wasn't ever like a big religious person, but I was like, okay, God, like, who are you? Like, why did you do this to me? It's always that why that brought me back. 
And I remember going to the cemetery and I was like talking to him and I'm like, okay, like, what is this lesson about? I let go everything that day at the cemetery because I was like, all right, God, we're going to have a talk, you, me and him. I don't Mm -hmm. care if I look like a crazy person. I don't care. I'm just going to sit in my car and I'm just going to talk to you and ask you all these why questions. Mm -hmm. So I sat there probably for... A good three to four hours, maybe tops. And I remember towards the end, I was just so frustrated. I started crying and I started hitting my steering wheel because I was angry. Yes, I'm angry at you, God, for doing this. I'm angry that you taken this and you're giving me these feelings that I don't want to feel. And then from there, I was just, it felt like a huge relief. At the same time, it was like very comforting, like a hug, like from someone unknown. Mm-hmm. But it was like a good feeling as, okay, what's your next step from here on out? Mm-hmm. So it was for a full year throughout the whole pandemic, because it was like, he passed away. And then the pandemic happened in March. So I was like, okay, let's start to do this and this. So I started to do a lot of meditation, a lot of praying, just taking care of myself, basically. Mm -hmm. And I always say that the pandemic was a hidden blessing in disguise for myself because it really helped me open up those feelings and get all those emotions out and not necessarily being prepared for a baby for the next, but being prepared to what whatever God had for you, whatever God had for me. Yes. So then in December, which it was going to be his one year anniversary, I was actually planning on getting my tubes tied because I was like, I don't ever want to feel this again. I don't want to go through it again because I know how painful it is. So I had actually scheduled an appointment and everything towards the end of January to talk about my options for getting my tubes tied. Two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant with my rainbow. So that whole pregnancy was just holding the breath in and a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. And every time I would go to a doctor's appointment, it would be like a good, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just, it was terrifying. And I kept praying. I was like, all right, Santiago, like, here we go. Watch your baby brother, mm-hmm. sister, please. Like every day I would talk to him like, okay, you're sending us this rainbow for a reason. Like, let us figure out slowly, but don't let anything happen. But nothing can prepare you. And even to this day, like, I'm like, okay, I have, I have two babies. So my rainbow baby and then her who she was the ultimate surprise. I just kept asking him, like, don't let anything happen. It was the most nerve wracking. Am I prepared to do it again? No, it's just extremely hard to be pregnant when your first was a stillborn. You have no control. No, you don't. You are completely helpless. Yeah. So every time I'd have an ultrasound or, you know, how like the babies move and the Doppler can't get them fast enough, my heart would just stop. Each time, even my because I switched OBGYNs after yeah. so I stuck to my OB that delivered my stillborn son. OK, it, I just felt a great connection with him. And he would always tell me to breathe like, it's OK, it won't happen again. And I'm just like, you don't never know. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I I think it's been the worst thing of my life yet the best thing because I got to at least hold him and I got to see how he was. So I'll always have that. 
God has a way, even when we go through some of the roughest and toughest times of our lives, he still, he sends a rainbow. Yeah. It's still something hard to go through, but he still, it's almost like he hugs you, you know, and says, you know, I have you just keep going. And even with my daughter now, I'm like, okay, God, Mm -hmm. all right, I hear you go through all of these things to get here. But that's why it was so important for me to start this podcast because no one around me. Like, I no, had no one to go neither to. Neither did I. And that's the worst. Trying to not have anyone. And you're like, okay, but I want someone that's at least going to understand me to a point. But... Right. Because even though, like, my husband was there and my family was there, he experienced his own grief. But it's still not the same because you are walking around with this baby. Feel them. You touch them. You talk to them. And no one will ever understand. Because for you, as soon as you hear a heartbeat... That baby's real. You have planned your whole life around that baby. And they can't understand that. Even if they're there, you know, no. they can't understand that. So it, it's a really, really lonely journey. No, I mean, it is. And especially like when you're laying in that bed waiting to give birth, your mind's just trying to go to a state that you're like, okay, are they, what's going to happen? Like, why am I going through this? Is my baby going to be born alive? Because my brain was in a way telling me he's going to be fine. He'll go to an incubator. You'll take him home in a couple of months, this or that. But you know, the reality of what's going to happen. When we went in, I went in on a Friday, they checked their heartbeats and they said, we only hear one. And I was like, what? And they were like, you're having twins, right? And I said, yes. So they come in with another machine to do an ultrasound. And they said, sometimes the machine is fickle and it doesn't work. But right then they knew. And I can understand to a point why they felt like they needed to say that Mm -hmm. to keep me calm. But I heard them in the back trying to resuscitate. But the numbering and accounting didn't register. When something is wrong and it's that intuition in you that tells you you're not wanting to tell me, but I already know and I can feel your energy that something is wrong. And then I kept asking my husband and he didn't know what to say. He was falling apart. It was just no one prepares you. The other thing that is extremely hard is that at the end of the day, you feel like everything has fallen on you because I hid for a couple of weeks And I kept getting messages from friends that they were like, oh, what are you having? Or they'd be like, oh, congratulations on your baby. And I'm like, I don't want to read these messages. Like, no, I didn't tell anyone what had happened until I made a post about it. Close family and friends, I had told them, but I think it was close to a month when I had said that after that he had passed away. Yeah, I had to because... Everybody knew we were going in. I remember just sending out a text and I was like, this is what happened. Don't respond. Don't call. This is what happened. And that's it. And even when I would post pictures of my son, people would come and say, oh, I thought it was two. So you would have to tell the story over and over and over and over again, which makes you relive every single moment over and over and over again. One thing that makes you stronger too, because at first when I would tell his story, it was more of like, okay, I'm going to cry and I know it. Like to this day, I still do get shaky and I get very emotional. But I always say that if his story in a way can help a person emotionally or just let them know that they're not alone, I'm going to keep sharing his story. It's so important, especially it taught me to advocate for myself. I felt 
something wrong a couple weeks before. I did a stress test and they said everything was fine. So I took their word for it. And if anything, it taught me, ask as many questions as you need to ask. It doesn't matter who you irritate or who gets upset. If you need to get extra ultrasounds, whatever you need to do to feel safe throughout your pregnancy, you do that because they treat Mm -hmm. you like a number Mm -hmm. because to them it happens all the time it doesn't matter that for you that's it's it it's nothing you don't know what's wrong but to them they're like okay you can just try again okay you're healthy you can do this you can do that no that's not it but it definitely taught me to be an advocate for myself and it also taught me to grieve as much time as you need to feel what you need to feel because if you won't if you don't it'll keep coming up Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that it taught me was to just let my emotions feel because Mm -hmm. growing up, I was very suppressed. Like growing up in a Hispanic family, you are very suppressed your feelings Mm -hmm. because your parents are always busy. It just taught me how to feel. Mm -hmm. I was trying to hide that pain and it just wasn't going away. And it just kept popping up, popping up. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna allow myself to Feel what you need to feel. Yeah. So let me feel. And then that was the biggest thing that helped me towards what I call my self-healing journey. Is to feel what you need Mm -hmm. to feel. Like you said, I was just trying to find a community of women that knew exactly as sad as the topic is. But, you know, for many of us, it's a reality. Mm -hmm. Something we've been through and thankfully not many people go through it. But, you know, that statistic number is still pretty high. Especially when it's so much technology, you don't think that that's something that you'll have to endure because, you know, we're in 2023. For you, it was 2018. And for me, it was 2015. So surely that doesn't happen now. Exactly. And I wish it wasn't as a taboo topic. Like you said, we could be a little bit more advanced within the technology because when the results back from him, they didn't find anything wrong. Same thing. My daughter was actually the healthy one. I had them at 37 weeks because my son stopped growing. Oh, wow. And I had them on a Friday and they told me that she died 18 hours prior to. So which would have meant Wednesday. And I had a stress test on Wednesday. Oh, no. And we did all these tests, did an autopsy. She weighed more than he did. He weighed five pounds, four ounces. She weighed five pounds, nine ounces. So nothing on paper made sense. Exactly how I feel because nothing was wrong. I was very healthy. It was growing at a normal rate. And then when we got all his results back, I'm like, how? Like, how is there nothing wrong? Like, there has to be something. If you can say, okay, this happened, or, you know, the cord got caught around their neck, or they had some blood, something, then you could at least justify it in your mind. But when they tell you, we don't know, that's the hardest part for me. It is. You want an answer. Like any other death, you want an answer. Who at least have that peace in mind, but not getting anything, you're still left in a, did I do something wrong? And even to now, there are days that I relive like my entire pregnancy that I'm like, okay, this day I did this, this day I did this. Did I drink water? Did I, what did I eat that caused him? Did I do a certain activity or anything? And you're just left unanswered. There's no way to explain it. For anyone going through this, 
now or will be, what would be your advice? Let yourself feel because you as a woman, you're going through it and you're the only one that knows exactly what you're feeling and just grieve much time as you need to grieve because I was put on a spot where I was like, okay, you need to either fix yourself or just forget about it. And to me, it was like, I obviously cannot forget about it. I need an answer is what I was looking for. But I'm going to always say, just let yourself feel and let yourself grieve. Don't ever listen to anyone to tell you, don't cry anymore. Don't do this. Don't do that. You do whatever you want. And what you need to do. Exactly. Yes. You need to do what you need to do because no one else knows what you're feeling because I personally felt dead inside. And ever since then, I felt like that person that I was before was buried with my son. She is dead. Her grave is just not marked, but somehow I am still living and breathing for him too. Mm -hmm. I'm so honored that you told your story today because I didn't realize you never shared it. No, I shared bits and pieces, but not the full story. But you helped so many women and you're giving them what we didn't have. And to me, that's a gift. I will say I mainly went through all of this by myself without talking to anyone. It's hard. Anyone needs to go through even a therapist counseling. Don't don't be afraid to go because I personally did have suicidal thoughts because I blamed myself for everything. And that was that's not that's not good. You have to find a way to get there. Look what you have, you know, beautiful babies, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's looking down on you. So somehow as women, we have to find the strength to get up. That's hard. Right. Same time, you know, it's the biggest blessing too. I'm so proud of you because... Yeah. How can someone find you? What's your social media? If anyone asks advice, how can they get in touch with you? Um, I'd say the most relevant one would be Instagram. That is Coco Gonzalez with three Z's or TikTok. I have shared a little bit of videos and personal pictures of Santiago on there, um, especially like for his birthday or just when I want to add him into our family pictures, which I always do or Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. All three are Coco Gonzalez with three Z's at the end. Well, we're here. If you need us, I'm here. We're friends for life now. It's something about this you're connected it's the community that brings us together yeah it's community and we are here to make sure no one else has to do this alone because it is a lonely hard road it is definitely easier if you have someone to walk along yes i can be there listen to you talk cry whatever you want to do Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share my story. Yes, I'm so honored. Any dates that we couldn't get one, we finally got one. I look at it as it'll happen when it happens, and it happened. Thank you so much. Thank you, love. We'll talk soon. All right, have a good day. Goodbye.